You're listening to Hey, you're listening to Books and Boba, a book club and podcast featuring books by Asian and Asian American authors. My name is Marvin Yue. And I'm Rira Yu. And we are here today with another great author interview um, with returning Books and Boba guest, Fonda Lee, the author of the Greenbone Saga series. The third book, Jade Legacy, just came out. We're very excited to have Fonda back. It's been four years. Yeah, since almost her first four appearance. years. Yeah, it, feel, it feels like a graduation, you know? Yeah, like we we talked to Fonda when like a couple months after Jade City released because uh, we talked to her like early 2018 and like so much has happened. I mean, she's like a multiple finalist for a Nebula Award. Uh, she won a World Fantasy Award. So like this series has really garnered like a very big loyal fandom since we last talked to her. So it was it was a delight. Yeah, a lot of time listeners might remember that Jade City was one of my favorite books for 2017. And Jay Lexi's definitely up there for 2021. I finished it over the weekend and I am still not okay because Fonda Lee is one of those authors who loves toying with her readers using tension and surprise and death. Yes, yes. Um, so we're going to do our best to not spoil anything in this episode. We're going to keep the talk mostly on the series as a whole. So don't worry if you want to get into Jade City and you haven't started, um, you can still listen to this episode. So I guess without further ado, here is our interview with Fonda Lee. And we are here with award-winning author Fonda Lee, the author of the Greenbone Saga series and the latest entry, Jade Legacy, and also returning guest on Books and Boba. Welcome to the show, Fonda. Thanks for having me back. It's been almost four years. A lot has changed. Uh, How have you been and have you received a lot of tear-soaked emails over the last couple of days? (laughs) I do get a lot of requests uh, from readers that I pay for therapy. (laughs) (laughs) I can imagine. (laughs) Yeah, I'm, I'm doing well. I mean, as, as well as you can, um, you know, in, in these times that we live in, Uh, I remember last year I was thinking to myself, Oh, thank goodness. I don't have a book coming out this year. Surely by like November, 2021, (laughs) things will settle down. I can go back into stores and launch this book with a, with a proper regular book launch. Um, as it is, the book launch was hybrid. So I had some events that were virtual and some events that were live. Um, but, uh, but we're all kind of acclimated in publishing. We're all kind of acclimated to that now. So the launch has been going really well. Um, readers are excited. I'm just super relieved, happy uh, to have the book published and out in the world and people starting to read it and some people finishing reading it uh, remarkably quickly. <laughs> it's a very yeah, long Yeah, it must book. be an experience because like you spent like what, seven years writing this book and people are like finishing it within a night. <laughs> I don't know how people read that quickly. I it is. It's kind of stunning, honestly. Yeah, when Rira um told me that it's been four years, I was like, that can't be right. There's like a gajillion pages that she wrote between now and then. How is that possible? 
I actually listened to um, our episode from 2018 uh, yesterday because I was like, what did we talk about? I don't know. It's so much time has passed. And, oh, wow. yeah. And it, it was just like amazing because we were talking about like Asian inspired fantasies as if that was like, you know, still something that is small and niche. And I'm right. like, wow, a lot has changed in, in a matter of like, like almost four years. Um, like, have you noticed that as well? In, in yes. terms of like, I, I guess like, uh, upcoming authors? Yeah, for sure. It feels like the landscape is really different uh, than when I first was getting a deal for Jade City. I think I've mentioned this before, but I didn't know if Jade City would be published. It was, um, I I could count on one hand (laughs) the number of Asian American fantasy authors that I knew. Um, And now it's like, there's just so many of us. You know, there's like entire lists of new releases um, that are either in, fantasy inspired by um, Asia or like Asian American authors. And yeah, the landscape is is very different. And it's been super exciting um, to see. And I'm a, li- I'm a little envious, honestly, of like the writers who are coming up now who have like all these role models and like this precedent that's set before them because it felt kind of brave new path that uh, back when I was trying to break in, um, it, it definitely felt much more like, oh, like publishers will only take like one book, you know, yeah. this slot. <laughs> that's like not the case at all now. Uh, yeah. And that, I mean, that you paved the way, bright. you know, you paved the way with your blood, sweat and tears. And uh, those <laughs> well, authors should be grateful. <laughs> I, I mean, I certainly uh, hope that I'm one in a chain because I, before my book came out, um, there was like the well, few that I could find included um, Cindy Pond's YA novels and like Ken Liu had just um, released Grace of Kings. And so there were these initial steps and like, you know, and, and, and then my book came out and then Rebecca Kwong's books came out and then it was like, there's, there's a, a pretty good little posse of, uh, of a set of us now. And it's, yeah. it's cool to see like entire panels, you know, be of, of, uh, of authors um, who are working in this space. That's cool. Yeah, I love that. Much like the characters in your book, the the older generation paves the way for the younger generation to have it a little <laughs> bit easier, maybe a little bit more peaceful world to live in. We hope, we hope, <laughs> we, we hope. Um, I, I'm curious because Jade City, I remember, um, wasn't a trilogy when you like pitched it and got it signed. Uh, I, I just want, I, I'm just like wondering, like, when they told you, oh, we want three books, like what was your reaction to that? And were you prepared? I was hopeful, but I wouldn't say prepared. <laughs> I definitely uh, was very glad that it, I got more books because I knew the story could be much larger than what I was able to cover in Jade City. But I kind of didn't dare to hope because when you go out on submission, you're just hoping to get a deal. Um, and Uh, when they did come back and say, what are the next two books going to be? That's when I got to sit down and be like, (laughs) okay, I'm going to, I get to, to actually um, plan with this in mind. Yeah. I wanted to ask because, you know, your second book opens up the world of the Greenbone saga from just about Kekon and Jan Lun and also like the, the Kekonese um, diaspora. And then your third book takes a bit further and is all about geopolitics 
economic um, politics spanning three decades. And it just feels like every single book, the scale gets bigger and bigger. When you started planning that expansion, like was there like a timeline? Was there like a world Bible of sorts or did you create it on the fly? I had a vision in mind. So I knew that um, these three books would have this kind of expansion scaffold, if you would, like the first would be very much about the clans in John Loon, and then the scope would expand to be international. And then the third book would cover like intergenerational change. So that was the plan. And um, what I kept in mind was that the focus of the story would always be on this family. So it's really about like this generation of this family and the conflict between um, the No Peak and Mountain clans. So that was kind of the spine. And so I had like a general sense of um, how it would unfold and what the end would be. Um, I need to know where the story is going when I start writing. So that final scene in Jade Legacy has been in my mind for a very long time. And then I had to figure out like, okay, what are all the steps the turning points that like lead to that final scene i'm sure you get this question a lot uh because the the series spans so many decades like how did you map out uh what would happen in each like i guess like era of this uh family it was quite a organizational challenge. <laughs> Lots of flashcards. Actually, I have this massive timeline that I built in a software program called Aeon Timeline, which is like a project management um, software, but it's also used by writers uh, to like keep track of all the events in their um, stories. And it's great because it has, you can create like files for each character. So, you know, like their birth when they were born and like that way you can have scenes and figure out like okay how old each of the characters are in each of these scenes and i have every event both on page and off page in this timeline but the actual like how did i go about writing it was honestly just by breaking it into smaller chunks that were manageable because <laughs> it was too big to hold in my head at one time so i had to like divide it into eras and each like era had its own little narrative arc and focus of what was like happening in that era. And I thought of it kind of like seasons of a television show where like the end of the first season is kind of ties things up, but is also a cliffhanger that then makes you watch season two. So um, that's how I broke it down. And then once like each of those pieces were in, in a draft form, then I could start like figuring out, you know, pulling the long narrative arcs like across them. And it was just, I mean, I honestly don't know. I'm like, I'm answering this as if I'm really smart, but like really <laughs> in the moment, it was just trying to hold all these balls in the air at one time and just working at it until like the pieces fell into place. I was going to ask you as a follow-up, like, how did you keep the momentum of, like, juggling all of these characters? But it sounds like you were just like, I don't know, it just happened. <laughs> I mean, Jade Legacy is just such an epic story because it's it spans 30 years and different generations. And you mentioned that you wrote most of this third book during the 2020 lockdown. I mean, how were those writing days like for you? It's all a blur. I think I've like repressed a lot of it, honestly. <laughs> like, when, when the pandemic happened, I was at a point where I had a good 
chunk of like the draft done, but I was like deep in revisions. So um, there was a, there was fortunately uh, not a lot of like new, like generation, like generative work that I was doing. Like if I was, I'd been writing a brand new world at that time, I think it would have been harder, but because I already had like the pieces in place, I was, I was revising and I was working on them. Uh, it was tough because my whole family was like locked down in the room, you know, in the house with me. And I had, didn't have my office anymore, so to speak. So I remember like I'd spend hours like writing on the floor of the guest room with like the door closed. I would like sit in my car and like drive to a park and like park outside there to try and get work done. Uh, And it was just, it was in a way it was good because I had a deadline um, to focus me. And I know plenty of writers who in 2020 just weren't able to write. Um, and I can, I can very much see why. Uh, and, um, the fact that I no longer had like hobbies or a social life in some ways was like <laughs> the impetus for me to just focus on work and, and just spend all of my time on, on this draft. I was just determined to get it done. Um, you know, hell or high water. Yeah, I mean, trilogies are really tough, um, especially the second and third books, because like for the second book, it's the dark middle chapter. Uh, a lot of the times it could be a slog. And then the third book is like, are they going to stick the landing? I don't know. Like, are my car- are my favorites going to end up alive at the end of the series? We're not going to do any spoilers in this episode. I feel like all three books are dark middle chapters in my opinion. I know, right? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the way you structure your trilogy is so... Like, every book... It doesn't feel like a a traditional trilogy because every book does stand well on its own, but also tells this, like, ever-expanding story. And I just wanted to give you kudos on just writing just a, a great story of this family and... All the all the shit you put them through. <laughs> oh, I'm really glad to hear that because I feel like every book was the hardest book to write. Like every <laughs> book in the trilogy has its own mission. challenges. Yeah, and like the first book uh, has to be good because if readers don't like it, they won't read the next two books. It has to do all the heavy lifting of developing the world and setting up these characters. The middle book is the make it or break it book, in my opinion, because that's where so many trilogies fall is they they have that soggy middle. So I remember being really obsessed with studying sequels on like which ones worked and which ones didn't and how to make a good sequel. And then, of course, like the third book is like the <laughs> ultimate climax of the whole thing. And if that doesn't satisfy readers, then they're going to be left with unhappy, uh, you know, feeling for the trilogy as a whole. And so like every single book was like felt like it had its own uh, pressure on it. Um, <laughs> but ideally, in my opinion, if I've done my job right, each book in the trilogy has its own kind of shape to it and readers will disagree about which one is their favorite. Like if, if I get a point where like my readers each have their own favorite book in the trilogy and like you could see pros and cons in their mind, like in terms of what they prefer across those three books, that'll make me happy. That's a sign that the trilogy works as a whole. Yeah. I mean, I I wasn't happy at the end because it, because it ended. So. Well, I'm sorry about that. But but Fonda has a Patreon now. She has a Patreon where she's like writing uh, short fiction. (laughs) 
uh, in in the world of Greenbone Saga. So, I mean, there's that, Marvin. <laughs> I mean, I remember thinking about this while I was reading um, Jade Legacy. Was you're so good at just writing tension. Like, you know, these are characters that live in a very violent world where violence can erupt at any moment. And when the big moments come, you still don't see them coming. And I guess, I guess my question is, do you enjoy toying with your readers like that? Does it give you some sort of joy while you're are you like cackling while you're writing? Uh, yes, commiserating while you're writing. <laughs> I I actually feel uh, a lot of stress when <laughs> with these some of these scenes as well. Like I'll I'll go into it even knowing what I'm going to write and be like, oh god, this is going to hurt. Um, so I I feel like the only way to traumatize readers is to kind of traumatize yourself, like as an author, because if it doesn't land for you emotionally, if it doesn't surprise you, if it doesn't if you're if you don't feel the tension, um, then then your readers won't. So, uh, you know, all of that has to be genuine. Um, but I do want readers to feel like they everything that happens is earned, you know, like that that it doesn't come out of left field, that it feels very much like result of natural consequences and like things that have happened in the story and that there's like repercussions that ripple through the whole rest of the trilogy whenever one of these big events happens. A lot of your characters, um, I mean, the ones that survive, <laughs> uh, they go through a lot of transformations because the series spans decades. Uh, did you have like a favorite uh, character arc? Gosh, I mean, I mean, gee. Or who do you think changed the most like from like day one? To- yeah, yeah. <laughs> they they all go through so much change. Um, and yet, hopefully they also all feel like they are themselves. Like that's kind of the balance that you're trying to create when you're writing characters going through really like their lives is that they change and are the same. Like that's the case with all of us, right? Like we change and we learn from experience and we grow, but we are also still ourselves. And there's like core part of ourselves that's always who we are. So that's what I hope gets conveyed. I think the biggest transformation is probably Andin's um, because we see him really unformed as like a teenager in Jade City. And, you know, he is uh, he's a man in his 40s by like the time this trilogy ends. So you really see him kind of grow into adulthood and all the um, things that he goes through, uh, and including like in the second book where, you know, he has a whole character arc on his own that's separate from the rest of the family. And it all comes back together in the third book. So I, I think... It's, it's a tough call, but I, I think Andon is probably the one that goes through the greatest amount of of growth across these three books. Yeah. But I mean, Hero does too. <laughs> and it's, it's hard to say. But yeah, I'll stick with that answer. I feel like everyone has a favorite character. And I've been loving seeing, like, this is something that I didn't notice the first two times, but there's a lot more art coming out for this book. Uh, and fan art too. And it's been really great just to see people's imaginations run at what these characters look like and how how they feel in their minds yeah that's always <laughs> a lot of fun for me because i can't draw worth a darn and so when people <laughs> draw my characters i'm just delighted <laughs> it could be like stick figures and i'll be like yeah. Woo, that's so cool <laughs> but i get I've, I've gotten some amazing fan art so i'm very grateful for that yeah um speaking of andon's arc in book two we didn't have you 
on the show for Jade War. But I just wanted to say I really, really appreciate it and related to the the expansion of the story in terms of like the Kekanese diaspora in like the um, not America <laughs> XP that you had in your book. I think it was the first time I like felt I know this is like cliche, but like it felt like our experience represented on like in the fantasy world of like being part of two cultures and not being able to be fully each. And I just thought that was really, really amazing what you did there. Thank you. It was really important to me because so much of epic fantasy is very um, monocultural in the sense that like, even when, you know, it represents like a culture, it's all, there's so much of epic fantasy. It's like, it takes place in an ancient land where these people have lived for thousands of years and can like trace their forebears. And like, you know, <laughs> there's such a sense of like history and past and blood right and like you know those are there's so many epic fantasy tropes um and i i almost like as a as an asian canadian american um i felt like doubt i felt self-doubt even writing an epic fantasy series that was based on east asian culture that i personally like have never lived in asia like my consumption of so much asian media is like through being introduced by my my dad and like uh, and watching films reading the subtitles like i don't feel like um you know i could write a fantasy trilogy um with this east asian influence without representing diaspora because like that's my personal experience um and also this takes place in a more modern time period like a analogous to latter half of the 20th century and um that is just like a period of time where there's a ton of globalization and and migration and like the reality of our society and uh, is that people move and the subcultures of of cultural diasporas are very different from those of the homeland and different from each other and so that's that was part of the reality that I wanted to convey um, in in Jade War and in the trilogy as a whole. Yeah, and I love that globalization is such a a tangible force in your stories um i mean the reading about like a small island nation defending itself from like exploitation of global superpowers was something that was super relatable to to a lot of us who came from east asian immigrant families yeah we were like oh this is familiar <laughs> i i'm like really curious as to like what uh you know non-asian immigrant family readers uh thought like they're just like, oh, this is a this is a fantasy world where, um, you know, all this is happening. But for us, it's just like, oh, no, this is reality. <laughs> I think that a lot of astute readers do pick up on on those historical analogs, uh, right? Like um, how the Espanians have this naval base <laughs> on on KCON uh, and, uh, and that is this constant presence that is very contentious in the country and um you know, there's there's clearly historical analogs to that, and uh, you know, and the geopolitical kind of Cold War situation that's happening, um, and a lot of the cultural change that happens in Jade Legacy uh, definitely has um, historical analogs. So people do pick up on that, um, and nothing is ever like no, it's not matched like you know one for one to things that like happen in our world but um it kind of creates hopefully like this backdrop that feels very recognizable yeah um your stories aren't just about violent conflicts although the fight scenes are still very very good uh you have political and economic maneuvering and i'm wondering how much research you put into these books because um your green monk clans aren't just 
crime families in Kekon, they're like their own class of warrior nobles. And so they have their fingers in a lot of different pies, including influencing domestic and international politics, yeah. expansion of um, international businesses, um, influencing the entertainment industry. Shadow government. No. Yeah, 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 very much so. Um, there was a lot. Like I, It's hard for me to think back on like everything that I had to research, but um, I always had to be like very conscious of like what purpose my research was serving because it would be easy to go down like a rat hole and just like research endlessly. So um, usually uh, what I do is um, when I have an element of like the the story or the world that I know requires research, um, I will like dive into that and like figure out like how um, it worked out in our own world and what like lessons I can take out of that to put into my fictional world. And sometimes when I'm doing research, I'll come across more stuff that then like inspires me to put in like different plot points into the novel. So it's very iterative. Um, but there's a lot of, yeah, there's, there's a lot of different things that got researched in the course of writing these novels. Um, like for example, the, the KCON Jade Alliance and like the control of, of Jade. Um, I did a bunch of research into the diamond industry and like how the global monopoly on diamonds was formed by De Beers and that whole like history of like, that is, that is also very tied into colonialism and um, how like that evolved. And so like that, and then Jade mining, I did a bunch of research into that. And then like Cold War, War like um, policies during the Reagan administration, like just all sorts of stuff. Um, and I, you know, I had to, I would research enough to make sure that like what I was putting on the page rang um, authentically or like, I, cause I don't need to be tied to what happened in real life, but I, I am drawing inspiration from real life in like the thematic um, elements and like the consequences on the world that happened um, and so, yeah, I, it's, there's, a, there's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, because of the call family, like they have their fingers in everything. It makes sense that their personal choices would have like ripple effects on the society that they're reigning on. So yeah, it like makes sense. Yeah. And it's obvious you put so much thought into the writing and the world building. I'm just in awe of all the systems you were able to put into this book. You know, you have building soft cultural power through the entertainment industry. You have influencing politics through PR campaigns, consolidating power through corporate buyouts. And you have just different characters and people with their own agendas and they all just fit together. It's, it's really impressive. I mean, the arc amongst the series, I would say like Jade City would be like, how do you gain power? Because you have like all these young folks who, you know, inherited this old like family, um, family power. And it's just like, OK, like, how do I get that? And how do I uh, create my own influences? And then Jade War, I mean, it's literally an open war. So it's it's a matter of like, how do you keep that power and then Jade Legacy, obviously, it's about legacy and the next generation. Um, like, to you, like, what does power mean to you? What does legacy mean to you? Oh, gosh. Uh, <laughs> not, not shying away from, like, the, the no, hard existential questions. <laughs> I oh mean, that's goodness. the kind of book that you wrote. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, so much of this book 
does deal with global power, national power, clan power, but it all comes back down to this family and these characters. And I hope all of those big questions and themes get filtered through the lens of these characters that we care about. Um, So I think for me at the end of the day, it comes down to like kind of a reconciliation for me personally of like uh, what sacrifices my own parents made um, and their decisions. And like, what does that mean for me? And like, what does that mean for my children? Right. Like as a, as someone whose parents immigrated uh, to North America and like gave up so much of their, their, the life that they knew and like their family history, really, like I feel I'm very, separated from um the relatives that that uh my family left um in asia and uh and and that like decision that they made was so fateful for me right like that i mean i'm i'm shaped entirely by like having grown up in a different place and uh and like that i think those sort of ideas of like okay what does your family pass on to you and how do you think about it and like what duty do you owe to them right like all of those really personal struggles questions kind of get wrapped up in the story of this family um because they i mean they're a completely different family from mine they oh, have yeah. like this huge long legacy uh and each generation is like struggling with like what did we inherit from our parents or grandparents what do we do with it now and how do we how do we leave it in maybe better shape for our children? Um, but it's like, you know, what, what is kind of a personal question for each of us, but like writ large on like this global scale down to like civilizations um, and, and entire cultures. Uh, but it's also like, I, I think like Jade in this trilogy can be a stand-in for so many things, um, money, you know, power, um, and, 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 it's really a kind of a subversion of that epic fantasy idea of like, you know, birthright, because like there's this magic that has been with these people in this one country for so long, but is now like opened up to the world. And there's all these like political forces, economic forces that are acting upon it. And it's really like a story of change honestly i think like jade legacy in particular is a story of change and like kind of how do you adapt how does like you know a a, a society of people adapt um in in such like a rapidly changing time um so yeah i i I think i don't know the answer to that big question and this writing this trilogy was my attempt to find that answer i i mean i think you like nailed it by saying like it's about change and adapting. Um, I mean, it's all about like what you inherited from the past and like, is there anything that's gonna last, you know, it's like, what are you going to do with it in, in, in this generation? And oh no, are you going to pass on the trauma, I guess, because intergenerational trauma, it exists. Yeah. It's such a, um, I remember while reading Jay Legacy's thinking, man, we've came a long way from like the sibling rivalry banter between Hilo and Shay in the first book to like now they're talking about how to raise their kids and what what are they going to do about the future Um, it it really um 
is a novel I couldn't have written earlier in my life. You know, like I, I feel like I needed the life experience that I've had oh, of leaving home and getting married, having kids, seeing my parents get old, like all of those life experiences and um, have personally influenced these books. And um, there, a lot of my favorite scenes to write were actually the smaller character moments, the like domestic family moments where, you know, there'd be like this big action set piece, like cool magic fighting and, and, you know, all, all these like high stakes events. Um, but then there would be like just a quiet moment between like Hilo and his daughter, for example. And like, those were some of my favorite scenes to write, honestly, and unexpectedly so, because they felt like very <laughs> real to me, like very relatable, like as a parent. Yeah. Can't wait to read those short stories about Jaya in uh, in Toshiba. <laughs> <laughs> I remember. And fiction writers take note. I'm not doing it anytime soon. <laughs> I I remember like when we were um, when we last had you, we asked you like what was your dream cast for you know if Jade City ever gets adapted, and what do you know? Jade City is getting adapted. It's getting adapted by Peacock, um, and. When I was listening to the episode, you casted Louis Tan as Hilo. Do you still stand by your decision, especially now that there are like a slew of Asian American actors like, oh, right. like Shang-Chi and all of that? Right, right, right. Um, I mean, uh, now I feel like there's many. You're right. There are many options. Um, and because it's in development, I feel like I shouldn't say anything now because like, <laughs> who knows what like will happen when if and when we actually get to really casting it. And then people look back and be like, well, Fonda Lee said this. <laughs> but, <laughs> I don't want to say anything. However, um, I mean, okay, I, I will say that I'm still very fond of the idea of Daniel Henney playing Lon because I think it would be <laughs> awesome for him to play two characters named Lon. Like, that's just like... That's true. That's true. That would be like And a also very, another chance to show off the Henney butt. Exactly. Very specific pigeonholing into, like, <laughs> role of characters in a fantasy stories named Lon. <laughs> I mean, I like the idea of because because the series spans so many decades, like you it, it's kind of like the crown, you know? Cuz like as the characters age, you have to get different actors. So uh, I I'm kind of excited cuz it's like, oh, who are they who are they going to cast? They have so <laughs> like you can pick from the older Asian American actors to like the fresh baby faces. So <laughs> there was a fan casting on Twitter that yeah, there's, said there's that quite they wished, a bit of fan casting. Um, I think Twitter. I read a recent one. I think that you commented on where they they pitched Takeshi Kaneshiro <laughs> as Hilo, and I thought he might be too old, but you know Tony Leung made it across. Why not bring Takeshi along <laughs> with him? <laughs> It's all a matter of how long the whole Hollywood process takes. And, you know, so I'm not going to speak too soon or jinx it. Yeah. I mean, it's nice because the trilogy has now ended and it's like, but has it ended? Because now it continues to live on in screen form. I mean, no matter like how long it takes. So, um, but how, how did it feel to like write, I guess, like how to like when you submitted the final draft, you're, you're saying goodbye to these characters that you spent so many years with. It was really strange. I mean, uh, you mentioned that I have a Patreon and that's because I couldn't quite leave the world behind. When I finished Jade Legacy, I ended up writing a whole, well, first I wrote an entire novella um, that'll be published <laughs> next spring. 
um, that's a standalone prequel. And then I wrote short stories. And I was like, what am I going to do with these? <laughs> so I started the Patreon. Um, but uh, it it was sad, honestly. It was very satisfying because there are many, many times during the writing of Jade Legacy that I was like, this is never going to be done. This is impossible. What have I signed up for? I'm going to have to give my advance back. Like people are going to be mad at me. So there's many times in the writing process where it does feel like you are just, you know, clinging to the side of Mount Everest and the peak is out of sight. But once it was finished and handed in, there was this feeling of just like relief and also like what am I going to do with myself now like I don't know what else to write because all these other projects that have um, occurred to me in the intervening years I pushed aside and be like can't think about that I have to focus on on finishing this trilogy and now now that I have um, there's this sense of anxiety and excitement at the same time it's like oh, I have freedom but like that's scary uh, so it's um I don't know, uh, you know, how, um, I, I would never say never in terms of like what I write more stuff in the green Bone saga world, but I also feel like, you no, know, I have to take that plunge of being like, okay, like I've, I finished this trilogy. I've, I'm very satisfied with it. I told the story that I set out to tell. And now I have other projects that are calling for my attention. Yeah. It must be scary to think about like building another, like epic world from scratch right because you spent so many years crafting this one but i'm sure since you're a world building junkie and you're so great at it um i i just can't wait to see what world you build next uh, me neither I, i'm also very interested <laughs> so i guess yeah i know you're in the middle of the the jade legacy media tour right now and in, in addition to the holidays have you thought about what's next are you working on anything right now or are you just like kind of taking a break for a little bit since you just finished a, a an epic so trilogy. So I spent the last several months writing some short fiction. Um, I wrote uh, two novellas, uh, one of which I've already mentioned, um, one of which isn't announced yet, uh, one and then a number of short stories. And I'm now just starting to outline and figure out the next series. So um, to be announced, more to come. Stay tuned. <laughs> TBA. Exciting though. I would love to. I mean, this is just me being, I guess, like a greedy fan, but I would love to read like an imperial drama from imperial fantasy drama from you (laughs) because you write political intrigue so well. Well, maybe I will. I I actually really enjoy writing the political intrigue because I try to make some of the dialogue scenes in in the political. Uh, conflicts feel like a fight scene, like even though they're just people talking. Ideally, if it works out well, they'll like still feel very tense. <laughs> so I've I've enjoyed like writing a story that has balanced both of those. Like I still cannot believe like how much you have grown as an author and like how you have influenced younger authors. Like I definitely see your influences, uh, especially. With the youngins who are, youngins. <laughs> who are writing fantasy novels that are hitting New York Times sellers list when they're still in college. And it's like, how? How is that possible? <laughs> yes. Um, it's a whole it's, new world. It's very cool to just see, um, you know, so much uh, growth in the fantasy genre as a whole. 
um, and the like ballooning of diversity in the field. And I think, you know, if you're still one of those readers who's like got this idea in your mind that fantasy fiction is like just D and D set like similar sorts of stories with elves and orcs that, you know, it's such an outdated view now because there's just so much, um, and it's cool to see like those boundaries being pushed for sure. And yeah, like a lot of these younger writers and like how they, they came up like in a time period where um, like they're very engaged online and like savvy and, and yeah, the energy is really something to behold. Yeah, it's gotten to a point where I feel like Asian inspired fantasy based on like Mulan or Three Kingdoms is kind of it's gotten a little Don't cliche. Say that, and I, kind of, I, I want us to push want the more. Actual, a little more, you know? <laughs> Because, like, the thing is, like, I I used to work at a bookstore and, like, one of, like, the most satisfying things was just, you know, when people ask, like, oh, like, I like this, like, what can I read that, you know, will match my taste? And it's like, well, like, if you like fantasy and you want to try something new, like, Jade City exists. And then once they finish Jade City and the Greenbone Saga, I can recommend them, like, all of these other books that, you know, did not exist like four years ago that was like not a genre that existed and now there's like a whole bookshelf and that was like really satisfying to me as someone who worked at a bookstore and like pushed books onto people (laughs) being like read this (laughs) um yeah like i agree yeah perhaps me being in the bubble of this podcast where i only read asian books might skew my perspective yeah it's sometimes hard to remember that we still have a long ways to go um, in terms of like general proliferation, right? Like for those of us who work in in the field and see all the like full richness of stuff that's being written and published now, it might um, feel like, gosh, there's, you know, things have changed so much and they have, but, um, you know, I think there's still so, there, there's still so much more um, runway in terms of like that becoming mainstream. Um, like you look at, you know, um, I don't know, Goodreads Choice Awards, right? <laughs> and how sort of predictable they still are, um, despite there being like a, a lot more uh, variety that's out there. So uh, yeah, the battle is certainly not won. And, and like, thank goodness for, you know, folks like you who are like out there banging the drum and like pushing books into, into people's hands. I mean, bullying people into reading something is, you know, is my favorite pastime. Yes. So. <laughs> hey, if you're bullying them into reading the Grimo saga, they will it's think it's really like the, yes, I think true. book bullying is like the, <laughs> definitely the most acceptable form of bullying. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, Fonda, it was such a pleasure having you. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. It was just, it was just lovely. Thank you for having me back. It's been, uh, yeah. It's been a wild four years. I'm glad to see you guys still um, still doing Books and Boba. And I'm glad I got a chance to come back and chat with you guys again. Yeah, congratulations. And um, have a great... Um, I guess you're about to head off to WorldCon. So Thank have, you, have I will. And that was Fonda Lee, the author of the Greenbone Saga, Jade City, Jade War, and Jade Legacy. Um, all three books are available now at booksellers everywhere, including the Books and Boba Bookshop.org um, portal. So if you want to pick up a copy of the book, um, go to booksandboba.com. Check out our bookshop link. 
and support the podcast and your local bookstore. All right. So for December and January, we will be reading She Who Became the Sun by Shelley Parker Chan, which is also an Asian-inspired fantasy. Um, it is around roughly 400 pages. That's why we're giving people a little bit of extra time considering the holidays. Also, Marvin and I would really like to take a break <laughs> from, <laughs> from everything on this podcast. So yeah, like we will check in again mid-January. I'm not sure, but you know, we'll still be around. <laughs> yeah, I mean... It's um, it's been a while since we've had a a double monther, but you know it, it is the holidays, and we were and I actually are quite busy for some reason this holiday season. So uh, we wanted to give ourselves and our readers a little bit of a break. But I am excited to read this book. I heard a lot about it. It's another book that's up for a lot of end of year awards and very highly lauded. So I'm excited to get into it. But yeah. That'll do it for this episode of Books and Boba. Thanks again to Fonda for joining us again on the show. And um, Rira, happy holidays. Yeah, happy holidays, everyone. Thanks for listening to Books and Boba. This podcast was hosted by Marvin Yue and Rira Yu and edited and produced by Marvin Yue. Follow the book club on Twitter and Instagram by going to at Books and Boba and engage with us on Goodreads on our Goodreads group. You can also check out past episodes of the podcast by going to booksandboba.com and by subscribing to us on your favorite podcast app. Don't forget, you can support Books and Boba and Asian American authors by purchasing books at our bookshop.org account. Check out the link in our show notes and also at booksandboba.com. Books and Boba is a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective, a collective of Asian American hosted podcasts featuring unique voices and stories from the Asian diaspora. Learn more about the collective and check out our fellow Potluck shows by visiting the website podcastpotluck.com. Thanks for listening. Hey, Brian, did you go to Saturday school as a kid? I sure did. Did you? Totally. Well, at our podcast, Saturday School, we don't teach a language, but we pass along the culture that we do know. And that's Asian American pop culture. Ada is a journalist, and I'm a professor and film festival programmer. We've watched a lot of great Asian American movies, and we want you to watch them too. Come listen to us as we look back at the pioneering films that have led us to today. 